to the AMPTO show. I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and joining me today is Chef Thorsten Panic. Chef Thor, as he is often referred to, has a passion for specialty artisan breads and, in fact, serves as a product developer and consultant specializing in artisan bread. He is also the instructor at George Brown College and Humber College's Hospitality and Culinary Arts with over 20 years of baking experience. With everyone home baking lately, I've invited Chef Thor to perhaps share with us some of his tips and tricks when attempting to make artisan bread. Welcome to the show, Chef. Thank you for joining me today. So before we get into baking and artisan breads, uh, can you perhaps tell us a little bit about yourself and how I got started in this industry? Um, okay, yeah, I'd love to talk about that, actually. Um, so I've, uh, I've done an apprenticeship as a, as a bread baker in my, in my mid-20s uh, in, in Hamburg in, in Germany. Uh, and to be honest, uh, I probably had not like the most romantic kind of way how you would picture it. Oh, I had like this passion for bread and I love bread baking so much. Uh, I kind of uh, actually never, <laughs> I've never actually baked the bread in my life before I started my apprenticeship. So quite the, so I had to kind of like build my, build my passion over, over time, but it was, uh, it was different, you know, like uh, I was kind of uh, looking for something to, uh, that I could do anywhere. And so at this point, my, my wife is Canadian, like a little bit background story. My wife is Canadian and we had a kid on, on the way, uh, basically. And I finished, I didn't finish university. I went about two years to university in, in Germany. It wasn't quite my, my thing and I didn't really like it. And so, yeah, now there I was. I didn't have a, any finished like post-secondary and I felt it was kind of important to to do, you know, like responsible child and stuff like that. Uh, so I started working in the kind of in, in a health food store in uh, in Hamburg, like a mini Whole Foods, or if you like, you know, your regular health food store that has a little bit of everything. And uh, I kind of uh, uh, realized um, how much how much better the food the food tasted, and like you know, it was kind of I like working there, but you're also like at the same time trying to uh, start a family, so you're really looking more into into this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I was in my early twenties, so that I wasn't really like the healthiest eater probably and uh at that time but uh yeah so after about working there for a year because uh, i knew i was gonna gonna go back to canada at this point we we're in germany right and uh, i figured this is something like it's kind of like there's a saying in germany like that's something that you can do anywhere in the world literally translated like uh if you have a trade and i think that's true like in germany it's treated as a trade so if you're a baker you um you can kind of uh work work anywhere and that uh, that worked out great so i literally i started applying for an apprenticeship uh, as a baker which is usually unusual in germany you have like different different schools strands strands basically that lead lead to that way like you can go after grade nine usually if you're a baker you're usually after grade nine or ten and then you do three-year apprenticeship and uh I got a little bit of credit for, uh, you know, finishing the high school, <laughs> the regular 13, 13 years back then. Um, so I got to cut it a little bit shorter. Um, yeah, but that's, uh, that's how I kind of got, got started in this. So when I went, walked in there the first day, I never made, <laughs> I never made a bread uh, 
in my life. And I kind of had kind of no idea how the scale of the operation it was pretty much making about three, 4,000 breaths a day with four, with four people, four guys or four bakers. And we were grinding all our flour, like kind of right before, right before baking, um, which doesn't sound like that interesting, but it's a lot of extra work if you think about it, because you have to put every every bag of uh, flour you have to make first. So you have to go up and these gigantic stone, stone mills and, and stuff like this. So basically, I started make my first batch of of uh, of dough that I made was three hundred kilo kind of uh, thing. That was so, um, and then over time I started um, I started working. First of all, after I finished, I worked a bit few more years in. Uh, in in Germany as the as the baker, uh, you know, just did the job and actually quite liked it and really really was uh, was a good fit for me. Besides the working times, the working times are are pretty uh, <laughs> pretty ridiculous. So usually you start at three or something like that. So in the in the morning between two or three, so that's a little tough sometimes. But uh, nonetheless, managed to then uh, finish my apprenticeship. After a few few more years, we decided to go back to Canada. I had a second kid by then. And then I started working. Uh, we moved to Toronto and I started working at Whole Foods downtown. It's like an organic grocery store. And I learned a lot there. So I did a lot of uh, bread baking there in, the, uh, in their in-store bakery. And it was pretty great because... Uh, I learned a lot of new things there too. So I was now pretty specialized, I would say, in like organic, whole grain, whole grain baking and natural fermentation and, and that kind of stuff. So over those years, I got, I got really in, into that. So that was really matching well, like that Whole Foods had a very kind of similar philosophy to bread baking. And... Uh, yeah, so I've done. I actually worked there for about twelve years. And then the last, the last couple of years, I started teaching a little bit part time at at George Brown College. Um, to the point where it's like, after a year, I was like, okay, if you if you guys can give me all your bread classes that you have, I'm gonna teach. I'm gonna like uh, quit my job at Whole Foods because I love it. Like it was great. I love I love baking. Uh, uh, Brad was no pressure, you know, like, yes, the pressure of teaching, very different. It's very different than making uh, 300 kilo doughs like all the, all the time and, and being pretty tired too. Like, you know, and I was not getting, not getting young. I'm like 50 years old now. So it's kind of, uh, it's a hard job, as I said. Um, anyway, so I told the people from George Brown, like, and they're okay, you know what? We have a, this whole certificate here. We're teaching the, artisan bread baking uh, certificate that you can get at night. So if like you commit, then we're going to commit. And that's already 10 years now. So I've been teaching there uh, nighttime about uh, 10 years. And for the last few years now, I've been teaching at Hamburg College, also specialized in bread baking uh, in the daytime, in the daytime program. So I'm like basically have like two part-time, part-time jobs. And which is great. So I'm kind of uh, really got myself the nice little little niche, a niche job, which I quite, I quite enjoy. Yeah. So and that's where I'm at right now, pretty much. But in right. Germany and in, in Canada, yeah. I'm sure there's some barriers that you've come across with even switching from 
the European way of, of doing things or working, I guess, to the Canadian yes, uh, way of working. So how has that sort of worked out for you? Mm-hmm. And just for those who don't know, you have an upper limb difference. So even right. that with the physical barrier, how has that taken in Germany and for you here in Canada when you move? Um, you know, like I would say you, you do have to prove yourself like uh, uh, for sure. So when I, when I did my apprenticeship and I'm basically missing my, missing all the fingers on my right, right hands and spurs, um, most people were like, okay, like, uh, that seems pretty ambitious that you, that you want to, that you want to do that because, you know, don't you need two hands like to be, to be baker, use big machines and, and a lot of carrying stuff and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, for me, it was never a question that I couldn't, that I, that I, that I couldn't, that I can do it. Like, you know, I mean, I was questioning it for sure though, in the beginning to be, to be honest. I would say I you do have to work sometimes a little extra uh, to, to get there. Like as an example, when you're like rounding up the bread. So like there's a stage in the bread baking where you're like, creating tension basically in the, in the loaf before you put it in some kind of proofing basket. And these guys were like, they were like so fast. They were always doing two at the same time. They had one in each hand, right? So we were making 3,000 breads a day. The, this part has to also go... <laughs> a little bit little bit quick and i remember kind of we were always facing you often you face each other like on this large table in the middle of the bakery and it was always a kind of a competition you know it was kind of like a lot of young guys and and we're like okay who you know you go 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 and uh my master baker so in germany usually you have like the one guy the master baker and then uh so he would train me basically and he would always face me and we're doing two at a time. So he's like, so, okay, you're doing your apprenticeship now. So by the end of your apprenticeship, so if I'm doing 10, I'm rounding up 10, you know, you should be able to round up five, right? I think that's, that's fair enough to say. I'm like, you know, yes, absolutely. And by the end, I managed, while he was doing it with both hands, I was maybe going up to eight. Like I was getting pretty close, like faster than anyone could do it with, with one hand, right? So you kind of, sometimes you get a little bit prior out of it too. Like, uh, you know, like when I'm golfing too, sometimes I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, that's uh, definitely, I had to convince more, like it was definitely hard. Actually at the same time, I was also planning to be a chef, uh, to be honest, we were thinking of taking an apprenticeship as a chef. And there was no chance. Like I had no like I sent out I don't know how many how many resumes. I basically didn't get get any responses. And looking back now, looking back now, I would say uh that's good because I've worked with a lot of chefs. I work in the culinary, two culinary schools now. So I know a lot of chefs and I know what's going on in the kitchen. The 12 years at Whole Foods, the bakery was like open right to the kitchen where there was 40 cooks working. So I I know and there's uh a lot of things I, I can do, but I think baking is just better suited for me. Sometimes I have to grab stuff like for like cutting, for example, like uh, using a using a knife and then holding something else as you're filleting meat or or stuff like this. Probably not my forte. You don't want to see this stuff when I, <laughs> when I, when I try to do it. Uh, but in baking, I don't have these 
like I even even pastry, like I've, I'm also a trained pastry chef now, basically. Uh, and I've taught a lot, of, a lot of pastry and, you know, you just have to put your, put your mind to it. And then, uh, you know, practice, 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 really. Like that's just repetition, especially in, especially in a bakery. That's kind of a type of job. Yes, you know. Like a consistency in, in how you bake stuff and developing developing right. or adapting your ways of making those things as fast as you can and and right. equally, you know, the best way that works for you. Now you talked about um working with different chefs and different master chefs. Yes. So is there certain levels in getting into your level of um I would or, say yes. In the, in, here and in, in Canada, I'm kind of like a homemade a homemade guy because I didn't actually um, did my master my master baker. So in Germany, you would be the traditional way. You know, you go baker, and then I think you have to work three four years as a baker, and then you can do your master course, which is like a one year, and that's going to qualify you now and to train the apprentices, new apprentices, or um, it also gets more into the business side uh, of things. You know, the, the operations. Uh, a bit more rather than like making the bread look pretty. But after that, at that point, you should already know how to how to do that, probably. <laughs> right. So at that level, you're you're more like a, a right. But you're like running the, you're running the show basically. Then like the the production itself, you're still in the production. Um, I would say, actually, just to just to get back to that uh, uh, difficulties order, I would have to say it had a lot of su- a lot of support. Uh, from the from the government uh, back then, when when we came back and they basically, as I was doing my apprenticeship um, with the small kid and like not really making any money as an apprenticeship, you, as an apprentice you make maybe five hundred dollar a month, which is still different than here, I guess, because you get some money when the school is free basically. So I usually you go once a week to school or you go for a, a block of a couple of weeks or something. Uh, something like that, um, but basically through my whole apprenticeship, uh, the the welfare and the disability office um, helped helped out a lot with like paying the paying the rent uh, basically for for the for the two years that the apprenticeship uh, took. So that was that was pretty good, and there's usually like a little extra like uh, you know I would get like an extra week vacation from, like from the government basically and to. You pay, um, you know, in your taxes, you get to claim, get to claim a, a little bit more, you know, basically. And here, it's uh, in Canada, it's not really even recognized <laughs> at all. Like uh, my doctor literally said to me, uh, "So you can, can you wipe your butt?" And he's like, "Yeah." So like, yeah, forget it. Like, there's no, there's no hip or uh, like any kind of stuff like that. Right. So, you know, we're just, we're just fine. I'm not, I'm not. When I like uh, whine about it or mm-hmm. thing, I was just saying that it was pretty. That was pretty helpful because sometimes uh, you know you do need a little support and you don't have uh, the exact uh, the exact means, I guess. Every, everyone else, you know. No, but it's also good to understand what other countries are doing or what other nations are doing to support people so that they are set up for success 
is yeah. how I see those things, right? You're trying to start your your life as a 20-year-old being an apprentice and contributing to society. So you should yeah. get the support so that you can set up yourself for success, set up your family for success. That's right. how I see right. those things. So I don't see it as a... Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and then, okay, and five years later, I did move to Canada. So for the German government, say, but but anyway, it's like, it's a good way of, of, of thinking, thinking about it. Because, you know, if you motivate people to do to do stuff it's like you know it was never my goal to get like it was basically welfare it was never obviously my goal to kind of uh welfare but to go on welfare and, and get that money it wasn't it wasn't i've always had a job uh before like that but mm-hmm. you know i worked since i was 15 or hardware stores and this and this and that uh and i moved out with my own money and stuff like that but like the situation that you know kind of uh required it and it was uh it was good and it it all worked out but i couldn't have done it without it i don't know how i would have done it like without like right i actually wasn't i wouldn't get any credit so you started as a home baker and there's these folks that starts you know as a homemaker or as a home baker, sorry. Right. And then they do this apprenticeship. So there's so the apprentice level and then you go into pastry level and then right. like how does and then a the master level. Good, good question. So that's also very different in the system. Basically, um, I did an apprenticeship as a, just a baker, right? That's your, so your baker would like is, does a lot of bread. I think uh, most bakers will bake a lot of bread. And then uh, you do some, some pastries, like, you know, like a, a baker should know how to make a croissant and a, and a Danish and a, um, whatever. And a simple like a simple cake, like, uh, you know, like a black forest cake or something, like nothing, mm. uh, nothing crazy. So and, and a baker should should know know all these things. And then you could also be an, appre- an apprentice as the pastry chef. Some of the same stuff, but you wouldn't really make extensive, like, 12 week in school, like, uh, sourdough breads or, or something like that, which you would more do as a baker. As the apprentice for pastry chef, you know, you get into all the mousses and the fancy cakes and you, and you can it like something I haven't actually covered at all. Like I didn't do, like there was maybe, maybe there was one week where I like filled some truffles or ready to make one. So, so that's <laughs> your baker's okay. That's what you can do. But they're just two different jobs. And that's, I find through my whole career. And that's, I think, why I have been really successful in my in my career in Canada, because there's not many people out there like, like me. Obviously, there's a lot of bakers and and bread bakers, but uh, that you know have have kind of this coming it from from both ways. I don't know how to how to describe it, but uh, almost getting everything on um, everything like under the many, sun into making one. Right. I would say let, let's say, and I won't, I like to diss usually. I like to diss pastry because ninety nine percent of the people that I work with are pastry. So you're careful what I'm saying now, but uh, I would say that the you know make you can't really make this up making three four thousand breads a day for for years in a row. So that I, I obviously have a quite a good feeling for how the dough any dough should stay. At some point you, you get it, you know. But what I haven't done, I haven't made ten thousand ten thousand cakes a day or like thousand cakes a day. That's rather different, and then you can and you can tell that. Like, you know, when I'm making a cake, yes, I can make a good cake, you know, but I can't uh, 
some of the stuff that I see that the pastry chefs are doing in my schools, so it's just like blows your mind. You're like, oh my God, like how how do you do how do you do that? Right. But the same for them. They all have to teach bread. It's the funniest thing because it's just part of any curriculum in bread baking. Like because here it's different. But as I said, so Germany, separate jobs. Here you get two years of of everything, and bread is a section of of that learning, right? Um, so I, I, I kind of, uh, I guess that's why I have a job now, specialized taking over the bread baking, because the pastry chefs are basically saying, you know, I'm not an expert in this. Like, I know I can do it, and I do it the same way. You know, I can teach a pastry class, and I have taught many, many pastry classes, and I, I enjoy them as well, but it's not like, I don't have the same kind of passion for it. Like I have a lot of passion for <laughs> for bread baking. Like I really just, you know, over the years, I quite I quite enjoy like reviving old like techniques and like old shapes, like shaping techniques and and all kinds of stuff, you know. In the intro, I alluded that uh, there appears to be an increase of people trying their hands at baking and showing their artisan bread making skills and posting them. Let's start from the very beginning. If I wanted to tackle bread making, what should I have the basics of? What should I do or what should I know or what should I have in my house to even consider start making bread? Okay, so actually to to get started, I don't think you, you need much. Like often people would say, oh, you need a mixer, which is like a stand mixer, which is quite pricey. So I would say, yes, you do need one if you're getting serious about it. But to get started, there's uh, breads called uh, the no-need breads or a no-need no need method. So basically what happens in those types of bread, you basically mix your water, a little bit of yeast, mix the flour, the flour and the salt together, and you just kind of uh, just let it sit for a long time, about 12 hours or something like this. And in this time, the gluten strands start kind of uh, developing on their own. So tr- in a traditional bread, when you're making a dough and you're you're putting it in the mixer and you're kneading it, it's that energy that you're putting in there. There's basically two proteins in the flour, gliadine and glutenine, that with the addition of the liquid and the energy that you put in with the mixer, that's going to start creating the gluten net, right? If you ever, ever made bread dough, you see how it's very shaggy in the beginning. You mix it together and you look at it and it's already quite holding together because the, the proteins didn't bond yet. And this is going to happen within the next 10 minutes in the mixer over time. The same process will happen over on its own over a long period of, of time. So if I let my, just put those four ingredients now in the bowl, let it sit covered for like 12 hours. And then the next day I heat up my oven, I kind of just, I'm stretching, stretching it over to give it a bit more strength. And you basically put it in some kind of, um, um, what do you call it? Um, a Dutch oven, basically. You you would heat up a Dutch oven in your in your uh, in your oven before you use it, like half an hour, and then you on parchment carefully carefully lower the the bread down into the the pan. You put a lid on it. That's going to create now some steam, so some of that water is going to evaporate and it's going to be trapped underneath the lid, that's going to create steam and it's going to give you a nice crusty bread. So you can actually, you have to take it out, the lid is off after about 15, 15 to 20 minutes and uh, then finish baking it to get a nice good crust on it. 
So I find this is actually a lot of people get into it with this way. So if you ever want to, if you Google this, no need bread. So no need breads are, are a great way to, to get into it. If, and then you're probably going to start really liking it. And you can do a lot of variations with that actually already, just with that, that basic principle. There's good books about it. And then you can get as involved as involved into bread baking. Uh, I would say I've noticed the sourdough is uh, super, super popular. I'm actually teaching a sourdough online class uh, tonight or uh, it's artisan bread baking theory class and we're covering sourdough in today's, today's subject. And when the pandemic was like, you know, right in the middle, the first time you ran that theory class, uh, Online, I was able to shoot some videos. We had more than I think I had 107 people in my class. <laughs> so, and usually it's like 10 people kind of in the classroom, but everyone started started bread baking and realizing how easy it really is. Once you get into it, you know it's not a it's not a hard, hard thing to do. But some stuff eventually you want to have a mixer when you get into it, like it. I like it. I have a good KitchenAid mixer, for example. Those are, but there's different types. But doesn't that a scale? I think would be uh, essential, in my opinion. You never want to, like, when you're crossing over from the from the sort of super amateur baker into the next level, the next level bread baking is that like you should scale all your ingredients. <laughs> well, I was actually going to say so with the pandemic, you see a yeah. lot of these like two minute videos of how to make bread that. Yeah. on social media so sometimes right. you see people with like here's my attempt at making this two minute bread instruction and my bread doesn't right. look like that so right. i guess the controversy is you're probably looking at those videos and go what are they doing no no not like i wouldn't say that sometimes maybe <laughs> um but uh, i always say it's actually crazy how 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 you can get to the same to the same result with so many different ways uh, two with bread baking, or like if you take one specific topic, like pizza, pizza dough, you know. And let's say the traditional way is like you know we have a very slow fermentation and very little yeast, and get lots of the flavor and no oil, and get the crusty and blah blah blah. And then I I watch the guy and he's like, oh, we use like boiling water almost, and we're doing this, and he makes he has an unsuccessfully Italian restaurant. And and makes hundred kilo of that of the dough every day, but it, everything he said was against like where I was, where I would ever do. <laughs> and his pizza was great, great, great pizza dough. So, um, so I guess yeah. it's knowing the ingredients and knowing the material that you put into your right. bread and how you it know, reacts with each other. Ex exactly, and it was you know some kind of old family like. So sometimes it's 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 really about the the method. I was actually when I was teaching. Teaching yesterday, I was we we're making ciabatta uh, and the focaccia was my class, and I looked we looked at the ingredients, and they were pretty much the same. It's almost like the same the same dough, a little bit of olive oil, water, flour, yeast, and salt, right? For the ciabatta, you would take you take like half of the flour, we mix the yeast in, we let it sit for an hour, and then we're gonna start adding the rest of the flour and then we're adding uh, and then we're adding the salt like a process called the the odolus where the, these proteins that I was just talking about they start bonding differently when salt is not not present in the in the formula so if i mix the first part together now basically two-thirds of it with the water and the yeast only let this sit and ferment for an hour 
then I start the rest. It's gonna, I'm gonna be able to get a much more uh, higher hydration dough. So that means like a dough that's very soft, like a ciabatta should be like extremely soft. It actually comes from the Italian word slipper. It's so soft, it slips through your hands. It's very hard to, to deal with, but to give that dough that kind of strength, you would do something like this. The focaccia on the other hand, same, same type of dough, but do I really need to uh, do this whole process and try to extract as much flour, uh, flavor out of the flour as possible? Not really, because focaccia, usually I drench it in olive oil that I just infused with garlic and, and rosemary at the same time as I was making my dough. So even though it's the same ingredients, um, I can use two completely, completely different methods and then have completely different different uh, results you know what i mean right and that, that's interesting to me that i, I never again um i don't bake bread i i'm more right. the uh, let's bake a muffin let's make a cookie let's yeah. make a this kind of thing baking yeah. for me was back when i was a teenager um and so you brought up an interesting thought i a friend of mine was documenting her attempt at making uh sourdough bread over the yeah. pandemic as, as everyone yeah. else and she was documenting it Every day, how you know how her dough is rising, and yeah. more comically, she even gave it a name. You yeah, know, and then oh, yeah. that's <laughs> a big thing right now. <laughs> right, and then at one point, she 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 threw the the whole thing out. She's like, Ooh. no, it smelled funny. It didn't yeah, yeah. seem right. Can you share with us some process that perhaps some tips tips and tricks for her to avoid throwing a dough like that? Or uh, when do you know when you need to throw a dough? I guess. Yeah, yeah. Actually, so. I would think you know, people people should not worry about uh, their 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 starter too much. Like in in terms of like, uh, is it gone bad? There's actually it really takes a lot of uh, a long time to to kill a starter. So as a general guideline, I would say you can you can say there's two different types of sourdough starter, and 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 I'm just going to base them on hydration. So one will be 100% hydration. That means one kilo flour to one kilo water or one liter water, equal parts, water and flour. So it's a very liquidy kind of a, a sourdough, which activates more of the lactic acids in, in flavor. So you're going to have a bit more of a sweet flavor, like a traditional baguette type or like something not overly sour, but still sour and it still acts as your yeast. So basically the idea is these these starters are gonna act eventually as your yeast. So you don't need any commercial yeast anymore. You can completely replace it with this stuff. You have basically bacteria from, from the air in there that you gather over a few days. And now in this case, the first one, I keep it at a, the same hydration, 100%, so it's very liquidy, or I could now lower my hydration of my, of my sourdough starter, which is what I usually recommend for, for people that, you know, that don't bake all the time. Like the ones you get in, yes, if you're a baking fanatic and you have the time to deal with your sourdough starter every day and you feed it at a certain time and there's a hundred thousand different ways of, of doing that part. But what I actually personally do is I keep uh, my mother starter very firm. So I lower the hydration to about 60%. If you think about, I'm not going to get into the baker's percentage formula right now. This is a little bit... But in a nutshell, to one kilo flour, I would have 600 grams of, of water. So that would be 60% hydration based in relation to the, to the flour. So it gets a lot firmer. 
And now I, I can basically, after I add fresh water and flour to that in that same hydration, I kind of put it right in the fridge. And now it's gonna really slowly just convert the sugars from the fresh flour into carbon dioxide and alcohol. And basically, if I'm keeping it that firm, I can get away a lot longer with not feeding it. So I don't, doesn't need as much attention. It has a more sour flavor, which I personally like. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it doesn't separate. Like a 100% hydration starter over time, kind of the water will kind of separate a little bit. And if you open it, it smells, it's like the hooch almost. The, <laughs> that's that's uh, on top of it. So you, most people would then pour it out thinking, but you shouldn't. You should mix that back in with fresh, more fresh flour if you're, if you're feeding it because you want to keep it at that hydration. So if you pour out water now out of that, so you can make it firmer than uh, that way. But that would be, like uh, for an example, I had pretty much didn't feed my starter now for eight, for eight weeks. Made it, just kept it a little tiny bit, made this really firm, put it in the corner of my fridge because I was filming a lot of bread classes and stuff and didn't really feel the need to make bread at home too. But uh, I just pulled it out last week, take, took a little bit of this, added water and flour to it, let it sit separate at room temperature, and it was beautiful. 12 hours later, uh, it rose nicely. And I started that one so to show off now. I, I started mine 10 years ago. So that was pretty good when I started my first class at George Brown. Um, I mean, I started a couple before that, when I actually taught myself how to do it at home. Because the funny thing is, I kind of went reverse, right? Remember I said mm -hmm. I have 300 kilos was my first dough. And at some point, probably after like for what, 10 years, you know what? I've never actually started a sourdough starter, which is true at that point, because every bakery I worked in, uh, the sourdough starter was there. So I, the mother starter. So I, I just maintained it. I learned, I learned how to do it. And that was the same in school too. Like, you know, the teacher brought in because you don't have five days in school to watch it grow somehow. <laughs> so it was always there. So I bought a good book. It's called The Very Fitting, the, the Bread Baker's Apprentice from Peter Reinhardt. So I can recommend this book for anyone that starts or wants to be a little bit more serious about it. The Bread Baker's Apprentice. And that actually broke broke it all nicely down and I started that sourdough and how he how he did it because kind of to be honest you know at this point I was already baking for 15 15 years probably and I kind of forgot the school stuff like that I had this stuff in school you know where there's carbon dioxide and converts this into that and so I had all that but it kind of was a good refresher to to read that book again and uh, yeah then over time the more as the more I was teaching it, then the classes, I started going just like really into it, like into oh my god, okay, so now I, what what else could I do with the with this class, and how can I shape my breads and make it fun for the, for the students and and stuff like that, you know. Of course, I had seen your posts on create, you know, and your <laughs> creations on social media. They look like artwork to me, and and so I just wanted to ask this question. I guess artisan making or artisan bread making is like the creativity flow from sort of what you're talking about to creating the materials, to creating the uh, the bread itself, and then yeah. all the way to the finished product. And you have different designs on yours. So mm -hmm. 
what's the inspiration for them? Or do you just sort of see it in your head first before you take out the mm-hmm. dough and say, this is the work I'm going to create? Or does it just kind of come out of you and say, eh, I'm going to roll uh, this out today and I'm going to make I mean, there this? Was a, there was a lot of good stuff, you know, I mean, social media for sure, like kind of, uh, you know, got me interested in this kind of shaving because for me before, actually as a commercial baker, you're like, don't have time to, to put a little braid on their bread or like like anything complicated uh that's gonna take too much too much time so uh the more i the more i got into it you know i got i got a book for example it's called from the late 80s it's called decorative brats and has like very uh french it's a lot of the stuff i have to say is kind of french inspired so i didn't i didn't do these kind of shaping 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 things um, but when, once I got the book, it basically explained very the the most basic shape. So let's say that there's like 24 shapes <laughs> uh, that you could do that are pretty recognized in French and French baking. Like they all have their own their own specific name, like Le Roi de Corona, or they like all these these crazy cool things. But they all have different different techniques, like how they kind of open up. You work with oil a little bit often. Uh, or flour between the layers to prevent it from sticking so it can open up um, and stuff like that. Yeah, and then at some point, I started, to be honest, I started also then once you have all these, let's say you know all these 24 breads, all these shapes, and now you can really start creating your own your own crazy uh, shapes, or, you know, and fun stuff. So I think <laughs> often people, like especially in the con Continuing education classes, George Brown. People kind of um, enjoy that, enjoy that part uh, a lot. But then it's sometimes a fine, fine line too. You know, sometimes they can get a little bit uh, carried away because I, I know I uh, think I can make so many, so many things. But I have to also realize, you know, people have have to be able to keep up. If you show them five different shapes in one class. Um, my experiences is probably not a good idea. So I am I learned to a lot like to spread it out a bit more or like just about teaching teaching in in general. Yeah. No, I've even seen like um in some of your bread, you you use like a this I guess a shaving blade is what I know it to be right. and making carvings out of your bread and then what comes out it's a, it has all these like intricate artwork in them. With using this this sort of shaving blade, is it just yeah. that you finish making the bread and you're like, oh I think we're gonna go make some slashes here? Yes, uh, actually that's exactly that's exactly what uh what often what often happens. I mean basically I mean there's uh, Probably one of the reasons for it, like I, I think it's about five or six years ago, I, I got diagnosed with uh, with ADHD, which is attention deficit uh, disorder. Disorder, yeah. You know, um, I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> As I said, like you know, I'm fifty, and I, I just realized that a couple, couple years back, and it actually kind of came or how I found out was actually, you know what I was saying to my wife? Um, you know, every time I come to George Brown and I'm like, just stick to the program, just do your two breads that are in the manual, shape them and, you know, just do your job, call it call it a day. Uh, and then 95% of the time I come in, I do this, I start scaling and then I'm like, okay, well, 
who's up for an extra dough? Should we have a, a third dough? Let's do. And then I, I have everyone make make a third dough because the beauty of this is, you know, we have flour. I always have yeast, salt, and water. That's all I need. I don't need to ask for extra ingredients or I usually have two bucket full of sourdough starter to make a sourdough bread. And uh, yeah, that's how, but that's how I kind of, at some point that's how I like, you know what, like, I'm really trying to not do this, but I keep doing it like every time, even though I'm like really telling myself not to, not to do it. Right. Um, so yeah, that might have, you know, so maybe I'm a little obsessive sometimes about, uh, about these things, but you know, I've also learned on the last couple of years to, to manage that better. Like, uh, it's not a bad thing, you know, I hope anyways. Yeah, I know. I like seeing it on your post. So I was yeah. like, man, I, you know, that's really creative. Or <laughs> I, know, I, that's really, I was really, it's like really an honor to, to, to talk to you in your, in your show. Like, because you know, it's okay. I guess I get the double whammy. I had like, uh, no fingers. And then, they, you know, also realize you have, uh, ADHD, uh, <laughs> But just gets to show you, like, uh, you can find the right thing. If you have ADHD, I would say uh, bread baking is a pretty good job for you. Like, if you're, if you're into that, like, but everyone can find their, their right fit, you know? Maybe it's good for the combination of that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. No, uh, for uh, sure. I think, what you know, find whatever interests you and whatever works for you. But I do want to bring up an interview um, that you did with the Baker's Journal, Oh, yeah. Where you said something about <laughs> that you 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 straddle between old-fashioned world of baking in a wood fire oven, and I guess or the more traditional European baking, and also right. like the modern way of baking. So, which method do you prefer? I guess, and what are the benefits you see in, in either one of them? Oh, good good question. Um, so yeah, I've uh, I'm actually uh, oh I used to until this year. Uh, teach these workshops, the wood-burning oven workshops, um, wood-burning oven workshops at the Montgomery Inn in Toronto. So they have a, it's basically a, a museum run by the city of Toronto. And they have a farmer's market pretty much every week and have these volunteers that uh, once a week meet and, and break bread in the wood-burning oven and then sell it at the market. So somehow we got in, I got in touch with them, uh, or they basically, I did a little bit of consulting for them. I helped them to get their breads a bit better. And we started talking. I was like, you know what? Like, I really like, uh, I really like what you're doing. Maybe there's something, maybe I could do some, some workshops here with burning oven and, and stuff like this. Yeah, that worked, that worked out nice. I did a few by myself and then I connected them with George Brown and pretty much been for five or six years, they've been all sold out. So it's very popular, three times a, a year. Usually we do it on uh, Easter, one in the summer, and one at Thanksgiving on the on those on those weekends. So I would say from a skill level, uh, wood burning oven, uh, you need a lot more a lot more skill to to use it to use it properly. Um, yeah, but it makes the best bread. So it's like I love the I love how you can can do that. You know, have like heat an oven up once with with quite a bit of wood, and then you you use the oven for hours. So basically, you can cook stuff for twenty four hours. First we make pizza, then we make naan, then we make 
pitas and we'll make the bread and then we'll do a, a sweet dessert. But now after that, then you can put in your beans and a slow roast and have a pig or, or whatever you want. I mean, that's obviously a decent size oven. This one fits about 40 loaves, the one I'm doing. So I love, I love that part, like that whole like kind of managing the part that I have three, four different doughs, proofing at different times, matching it to the right temperatures to go, to go in there. Uh, and then, you know, as you're teaching um, people. So I usually have actually a great, uh, uh, a great team. I often have a lot of uh, older or ex, ex students or they took my classes and they help me out volunteering. So usually in these events, I have four or five people just uh, volunteering and helping me like with all the scaling and making sure everything goes smooth and they know the, they know the drill now. And it's always, uh, we're all looking forward to that every, every time. But in terms of, uh, you know, what's easier, yeah, for sure. If I also really like working with a conventional uh, deck ovens. When I want to do something that I have a bit more control of, like these crazy shapes and stuff like this, uh, I don't, the wood burning oven is not the perfect thing to to do that kind of uh, baking. You know, we are really just more about the crust and the very rustic, the rustic kind of uh, bread. But no, I, I love, I love uh, both, I would, I would say. But from a stress level, I say the labs are a lot less uh, stressful just because of, you know, I have eight ovens there and students and there's different. You all share one oven, and you have to. But you know, it's, it's, I like all kinds of bread baking. Doesn't I don't discriminate against any oven. <laughs> right. I guess. I guess just a conventional. You'll have the temperature consistent all the time, regardless of how much bread is is in there. And then you have your timer. Whereas with the wood burning, you have to control the nature itself of fire to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. now it's too hot. I got to pull this one out a little or whatever. Yeah, and I would say, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm a I'm a pretty decent. Baker was uh, on a wood burning oven. Even though I've never, I've never uh, personally worked with one in, in large production. You know, like I, I mean, I wouldn't still say that's large production if you do four loaves or a hundred loaves in in one shot. But uh, yeah, it's a bit different. You know, do you, do you find a difference in consistency and the flavoring of like how much more intense a firewood oven is or a firewood bread is cooked or uh, if it's cooked? Yeah. For sure, I think you can taste the smoky, the smokiness. It, again, your bread's only gonna in the wood burning oven. Your bread's only gonna be as good as your dough. So you should still what it's you should observe like longer fermentation times and making sure uh, that you get a lot of flavor get into the into these doughs because you don't want to use those say if they have a lot of sugar and stuff like this because it's gonna burn in the wood burning oven uh, pretty quick. So again. The goal is to extract all the flavor from the from the flowers, basically, because if it's only for ingredients, water, flour, yeast, and salt, that will be considered a lean dough. So that means I can bake it now at a fairly high temperature to very crusty. As soon as I start putting in oil, sugar, stuff like this, then you're going to get a softer bread. But that's usually not what I'm I'm looking for. I I want to have that high heat. And pizza, you can. Pizza is the best. Like in the wood burning oven, there's no other. Like you can get a pretty close at home and at, mm -hmm. at school too. We can get them pretty hot, but not like that where you go. We bake our pizza at like seven 
TV grease or something like that, you know? So, yeah, I know. I do like my uh, wood oven pizzas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it has a total uh, different taste. That's it's always awesome. a highlight. Do you have any particular sort of, I guess, in your taste buds or your signature taste, are you more on the sweeter side of things when you're making your bread or are you more on the kind of, like we said, salt, water, yeast, flour? Oh, for, for sure, the salt, water, yeast, not the not the sweet breads, like too too much. I, I mean, I really enjoy making brioches and halas and stuff like that. But the bread, like my daily bread is the, it's just like a sourdough bread. I mean, I do, I do like all, all types of bread that I match with my, with my foods. Cause I am really into like, you know, whatever goes on bread. I eat a lot of cold cuts, too many cold cuts probably more than I should, because you need something to put on your bread. And they're even there. I don't, maybe sometimes a little bit sweet stuff on there, jam, but not so much. It's like, I like the rustic kind of crusty, crusty bread, you know? Right. Yeah. So it's a more traditional, more, Mm -hmm. um what you would you would get in your in your big french bakery or or european bakery kind of thing yeah so um and and i have to ask this and this is probably going to be again controversial is there a way to substitute ingredients in bread making to make bread to be more vegan friendly or gluten friendly and are you sacrificing any of those flavors or consistency of bread when you when you do that um yeah i think uh... Yeah, it's quite it's quite different. Gluten free breads very interesting subject. Uh, so basically, I've tried to stay away from this for uh, for about 20, 20 years, and then I I was offered like a research project uh, to be the head lead researcher for a gluten free bread project, and I was like, you know what? Okay, I never made gluten free bread uh, before. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes, and I'm gonna I'm going to like immerse myself into it and 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 try it. And uh, actually, I've I've done in the meantime. I've done sweet gluten free uh, projects. So very interesting, very interesting because I wouldn't compare it with bread. Like I think that's when people probably start making their first mistake, calling it bread because it's it's not in my. In my opinion, it doesn't have the same characteristics of like a, a crust or like uh, an open crumb structure uh, in terms of, you know, there's, again, if you're doing sweet breads, probably much easier to replicate something that simulates bread. Um, but it has a lot of, it has a lot of issues in, in general, gluten-free baking in terms of uh, the rising and how do you get that that structure in there? So there's all kinds of of little things you you can do. But what I find is that most of these mixes, these gluten free flour mixes, or you if you make your own mix, which is usually a blend of ten different things, they most of the time contain a lot of starch, like cornstarch or um, any kind of starch, which is not good if you think about it. I get in trouble if I use a tablespoon of starch just taking my sauce here at home. So if you think about how much how much starch is in a gluten-free bread, pure pure starch, it's probably not not great because it's ultra processed uh, too. So I would say if you have a gluten allergy or if you have celiac disease, then yes, you know you have no other options, and then you can probably get pretty good pretty good uh, results if you really get into it. 
but if I would say most, or a lot of people actually are just a little bit sensitive to, to gluten. And for those people there, so that's actually where I'm coming from. If you think about it, we did a lot of 100% spelt bread. Spelt is like a, an ancient grain. that's very low in gluten, kind of, it's similar to the wheat gluten, but much lower gluten content. Rye flours contain a little bit of gluten, but they contain gums. So a lot of people are, uh, react differently to them than to wheat flour. So the enemy seems to be the, that that wheat that's very high in in protein. That you know, for for many reasons, people like to grow it because it's got a great yield and and all this stuff. Um, but yeah, anyways. So I would I would say there's definitely uh, challenges, and it gets even harder when you make it vegan. So I've had. Uh, because uh, that was actually part of some of the projects that we're doing. There are certain requirements when I when I develop a new recipe, and be like, okay, it's going to be gluten free, it's going to be vegan, and it's going to be this, and it's going to be that. <laughs> that cuts out a lot of that cuts out of a lot of stuff uh, that you can that you can use. Uh, but yeah, I learned a, I learned a lot about it. And so I was actually then really obsessed for about a year. <laughs> with gluten-free baking and I've done all these all these different things flour blends and like what's it works different like instead of gluten you use it's called gum xanthan gum for example that just kind of just glues the stuff together so the texture is often like not quite what you're looking for so the trick for example would be if you are into gluten-free breads there's some formulas that would incorporate like egg white, for example, like you whisk up egg white into like a stiff kind of a foam and you fold this into your gluten-free batter right before you're, before you're proofing it. And that's going to give you extra air, air in there because the, the air that's inside that egg white is going to expand within that mixture and it's going to push it up a little bit more. But again, if you're vegan, then, uh, then, you, uh, then you can't do that either, right? So there's other things then that you can use. Uh, you can cook like uh, flax seeds that would act as a binding agent, like, which egg normally would do, or like similar functions uh, to it. Um, but yeah, you know, my advice is if you don't if you don't have celiac disease, don't buy gluten free uh, necessarily stuff. I would say for pastries and cookies. Yes, and those things. And if you have a great cookie that's gluten, happen to be gluten free at the same time, uh, no problem. But that seems to be a lot easier if you're adding, if you know, if you're allowed to use sugar and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, of course. But if it comes down to really just tasting a bread and it was just flour or like whatever gluten free flour brand, and but nothing else, it's a tricky one, you know. Yeah, I find that the consistency of the bread itself is just not. Either it's too crumbly for me or too dry for me, or it's just and not it, together it, as a bread. So Right. And then I will have to say, so the, I mean, once you start getting into it, the ones that you're making at home are usually a lot better, you know, because I've worked in a lot of places where they sold gluten-free. For the young generation yes. who are like yourself, who are into or who wants to get into cooking or baking or in this type of career in the industry that has a limb difference such as yourself, what would you say to them? Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you should expect 
you know, some skepticism probably usually from people that when you when you start when you start somewhere. And uh, but that shouldn't that shouldn't stop you. Like if that's if you feel like this is the the right thing or you have the you have the the passion for it, you know. And there's a lot of uh, accommodations actually, you know, since I do work in the school system now. Uh, we have great accommodations actually for for most or for like for all kinds of students. It's just to be honest, it's it's fairly rare. I haven't seen another uh, one hand baker yet, like to be to be honest, or like even for my for my student. But then it could might be other issues too, right? That uh, you can get recommendations for. Um, I mean, obviously, I would say also be be realistic to your to yourself you know like and i don't want to speak for for any other people that i don't know have lost limbs or for me it's different yes too like i didn't lose a limb i was born i was born with some with some missing limbs so i think there's a difference you know i had an operation when i was 16 where they took out some bones and transplanted them in my in my hand which is looking back i don't think was really necessary because it didn't really do it didn't really do anything. Uh, so I, in a way, I can kind of uh, you know feel that type of pain too a little bit. But uh, I think uh, I think that's a little bit. It's just a little bit different. I, I kind of know what I can and can do can't do because I grew up with it like this. So you know, I know if I if I try this, I'm probably gonna drop it. It's not gonna work. Like yeah. But if you lose a limb later, I would assume that. You have to relearn. You have to relearn those things, and how far you can push yourself. I don't know. I mean, like, uh, I'm always, uh, I'm always amazed when I see uh, all all kinds of of people like doing doing these things. You know, so uh, then they always say, oh, so there's no no excuse if you're a baking student of mine, right? If you're, I did I did actually a little competition last week. I was I I gave every Every student had one kilo of dough. I'm like, okay, we're gonna do a little competition now. Basically, kind of what goes back to my apprenticeship, like a little competition. We're just gonna scale that into 10 100 gram pieces and round it up into perfect little ones and put it in front of you. So, uh, see who wins, right? So, I, I, I was done like minutes, minutes before the the second one because it takes me literally two seconds to 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 do one, right? Uh, and they're, obviously they're still uh, students, uh, but it's like, well, you know, you can use two at the same time. You should be like, basically, I'm doing, I'm reversing it now, you know what I mean? Uh, which is kind of funny. Well, I wanted to, um, I also just wanted to make sure that people can find you on, you're oh, on yes. Facebook and, and in, yes. in Instagram, is that correct? Can you just share the, the address as far as? So I have a, I have three things. I have the full. I have the full hookup. I have a Facebook. The Facebook page is called uh, Artisan Bread Baking, and then I have uh, actually have a Facebook uh, group also that I started a few years back. It's called um, Bread Baking Techniques with Chef Thor. So that's a community that has about ten thousand people now already, actually almost. And then Instagram, of course, uh, username is at Chef Thor in one. At one word, uh, and you can find a lot of my my pictures 
Awesome. I want to thank Chef Darn Stefanik for joining me today. I'll be sharing the links to Chef Thor's social media on my website, www.aristotledomingo.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The MPTO Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been The MPTO Show Podcast.